Thanks, Amy. Good job. Thank you. Well, good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name is Nathan. I'm glad that you're here in the middle of July. Welcome. Three things as we get started. First, raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. We'll hand one to you. We're going to be in Psalm 36. Psalm 36, which is on page 388 in the edition that we hand out. Love to just equip you with this so that you can follow along. The verses will be on the screen, but it's always good to see it in context. Secondly, there are these notes pages. This helps you to follow along. At least it helps me to follow along. And I uh, hope we, we prepare these in an effort that they'll be helpful for you. On the back side is some information about what we're doing today and why we're doing it. And then also there's some space to fill out contact information if you would like to. You can rip it off and put it in a basket that we'll hand around in a little bit. This just helps us to stay in touch with you if that would be helpful. And finally, if this is your first Sunday with us, we, we really hope that this is an encouraging and challenging morning for you. Uh, we hope that you feel welcomed and valued here. Uh, we've partnered with a coffee roaster locally that supports a mission organization that we believe in and support financially. And so we've got some of their coffee. It's Valiant Coffee. It's in the back. We'd love to give you a bag of coffee just as a thanks for being here gift. If this is your first time, don't try to get away with it if it's not. All right. But we'd love to give you one. Um, so glad you, joined, you chose to join us uh, today. All right. Question. Who'd you talk to this week? Again, it sounds like an interrogation. Who'd you talk to this week? Who did you, uh, who'd you visit with? Who'd you interact with this week? Think through the people that you shared life with over the last five or six days. Um, and, and I'd like to invite you to think about the words that you said. The words that you said to the people that you spent time with. Lots of words, right? Uh, might be really challenging to remember any of them specifically. On Thursday night, I reviewed my calendar, and I thought through, I wanted to think through all the words that I said over the previous week. And so I started by writing down who I had spent time with, who I had said words to. I said a lot of words. Maybe you said a lot of words. I don't even remember all the words that I said. But here's a partial list of people that I said words to. Last Sunday, I said a bunch of words to Summit Church, another Christian church here in town uh, that we're friends with. Uh, they had me over there. After church, I had lunch with a couple in a transitional season in their life, said some words to them. 
said some words to my son Isaiah. We worked out together this week, said some words to my son Matthias. We watched the All-Star game together early in the week, got to have lunch with my daughter Sienna, said some words to her as well. I spoke to a mechanic who had my truck all week long. Actually, I mostly spoke to his answering machine. I think I left like 10 uh, messages over four days. Uh, so I said a lot of words to him, um, which was frustrating. Uh, I spoke some words to our remarkable uh, church board on Monday night. Lots of stuff going on here. And I'm so grateful for that team. Spoke some words to our amazing staff team on Tuesday mornings, or on Tuesday morning. This week I talked to students, I said words to dads, I said words to the grieving, I said words to the uh, rejoicing and the grateful, I said words to people who were crying when I said words to them, and those who were angry when I said words to them, I said words to a guy I'm mentoring, I said words to a guy who mentored me when I was in college and in grad school, I spent some time with my spiritual director this week, I said a lot of very honest and uh, deep and emotional words to him. I said words to my brother, to a dozen or so people throughout the town that I ran into throughout the week. I said words to a couple of families that came over for dinner on Wednesday night. I had a long phone call with my wife this week. It was one of those weeks where we lived together, but we didn't get to talk to each other. So you got to do this, right? You got to, whatever it takes. So we got on the phone, <laughs> which just seems ridiculous on one level, but we actually had a really great conversation, Justin. It was good. And uh, I said words to God this week. Isn't that crazy? That would sound crazy and presumptuous, except for the fact that there is profound biblical precedent for people speaking to God, speaking to the Creator. We actually have a whole book in the Bible, right in the middle, it's called the Psalms, and it includes 150 examples of words formed into some kind of organizational effort to speak to God. These are prayers. Many of them are turned into songs. It's called the Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. There's 150 of them. And one of the most fascinating things about this book of the Bible is the wide variety of different words that are spoken to God. And not just the, the fact that there's all these different words that are spoken to God, but did you know that there's, the, there's like a full range of human emotion that is represented behind those words, this full range of human emotion that is brought before God in the form of prayers and in the form of songs, it's really interesting to me, the variety of different kinds of words that people say to God, including lots of examples, and I mean lots of examples, of things that I think most of us would not feel super comfortable saying to God. We would maybe feel like, can you say that to God? Is it okay to say stuff like that to God? Is, it a, is there some sort of rule against saying those kinds of things to God? So we're going to spend the rest of the, the summer weekends looking through the Psalms at different words that we say to God. Here's the hope for the series. The hope for the series is that you and I will grow in honesty in our relationship with God, that we will grow in deeper transparency, we will feel invited into deeper vulnerability, also that we can grow in a relationship with God that is marked with honesty. Think of it like this. <clears throat> if the only thing I ever talked to my boys about was games and sports, and we never talked about our feelings, and we never talked about our, um, our fears, and we never talked about uh, our hopes and our disappointments, and our work ethic, and our values. All we ever talk about is football and baseball. 
you might say, you have a pretty limited relationship with your sons, right? Or my wife Carmen and me, what if all we ever talked about was business, which for us, our shared business is who takes what car where, grocery lists, electricity bills, managing the home, right? What if we, all we ever talked about was just the nuts and bolts and practicalities of managing this home, and we never talked about our, our hopes, our shared love for one another, uh, we never spoke words of encouragement to another? You would, you could justifiably, you could look at our relationship, and based on the words that we say or the words that you don't hear us saying, you could make a judgment you could make an assessment about the quality of our relationship. You could say, for instance, well, you've got this sort of working relationship, but I don't see any real evidence of like any kind of emotional union here, right? And that would be a justifiable um, assessment because words, are, they, they matter, and words reveal so much about the nature of the relationship, right? The words that we speak, the words that we say reveal so much about what's going on in the relationship. Let's look at an example of this from the Psalms. This is Psalm 36. If you're using that red Bible we handed out, it's on page 388. This is a Psalm written um, by King David. It has three verses. He writes it to be a song. So it begins as a prayer. He gives it to the worship leader to make it into a song. In our way of thinking, it probably has three verses. The three verses are basically this. In the first verse, the writer complains about the wicked people. So he's saying words to God about the wicked. In the second verse, the writer remembers this massive perspective-shifting truth about God. And so he begins to say words to God about God. And then in the final verse, he prays this real kind of humble prayer for himself. He makes a few requests for himself. So in the final verse, the, uh, the writer or the singer is, is saying words to God about him, about himself. So it's one song, three parts. Part one is a complaint or a rant. Part two is a proclamation of truth. And part three is a prayer for help. Let's hit each of these three parts. I'll spend most of the time on the first, and we'll make some observations about it, all right? So the first verse of the song begins with verse number one in Psalm 36. Right out of the gate, we have a really complicated translation issue. Uh, let me just touch on that briefly. I know most people don't care about this, but it totally made me stumble this week. I had to figure it out. So... In the Bible that we handed out, verse 1 is treated as one big sentence. The big sentence is this. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Now, most other translations, and I frankly think, they're, I think this is the better way to go, they take that one sentence and they turn them into two. I think that's clearer. In other words, the two-sentence version would be like this. I have a message from God in my heart, period. And all the whole psalm falls under that category. Then the second sentence is now, about the sinfulness of the wicked, colon. And now he launches, right? Now David is sharing his views about the wicked and the sinfulness of the wicked. This is what he goes, this is what he says from there on. There is no fear of God before their eyes. By fear, he means there's no reverence, there's no respect, there's no honor. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course, and they do not reject what is wrong. 
So David's experiencing really strong feelings about some other people, right? He's not just sort of mildly annoyed or irritated. This is more than frustration. He's disgusted. And that might be really strong language, and I don't know how many of you in this moment feel like you have disgust for someone, but I do believe that we can probably imagine, or at times in our life, we have been at a place of emotional intensity that we might describe as uh, way more than irritation, but maybe even disgust. This is a complaint from David about people who are doing really bad stuff, and they're arrogantly flaunting their self-centered behaviors. They are reveling in their evil actions. It's not that they don't care or that they don't see that their actions are evil. That's not the case. It's not that they don't see that what they're doing is destructive. It's they don't care. They don't care. It's like forget the world, right? There's this disturbing perversion about the human dignity that has just been twisted in these people. And so now it's, it's informing their, their behavior and they're just manipulating people and treating people terribly. David writes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. And, and, and then David takes this rant to a whole nother level. This is like biblical language for next level rant. This is what he says. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and they do not reject what is wrong. Even on their beds is like the ancient language to saying, even in that place in their heart, which is deep and personal and private, even in that sacred place, even in like, not just the soul, but the bedroom of the soul, like even in that most secret inner place, they are, <laughs> they're committing sin, they're plotting evil. Ambrose is a fourth century Christian pastor, you've heard of Augustine, Ambrose is his teacher, Ambrose writes this, in bed we should lament sin, not commit sin. In other words, when we lay down at night and everything gets quiet and the lights go out, we've got this beautiful built-in opportunity to kind of reflect over the day. And this is often when some of the words that you spoke that day kind of like rise up in your conscious and you're like, oh man, I shouldn't have said it like that to him. I, I wish I wouldn't have done it like that. That didn't help anything. And you've got this powerful opportunity to experience actually kind of a healthy sadness and and like repent, like acknowledge, man, I stepped out of line here. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have said it like that. But what David is saying is that even in that most personal, private, secret space, even in the private thoughts of their hearts, even on their beds, they plot evil. I mean, he does not like these people. They are not sorry for their sin. They don't even care that they're hurting people. In fact, they're planning to do it again tomorrow. They're committed to a course of destruction. Okay, now what I find most interesting about all of that is that David is saying these words, all these words he's saying to God. Isn't that interesting? All these he's saying to God. So here's a question. When you encounter some kind of wickedness or some kind of perversion or some kind of abuse that just, you know, turns your stomach, this unwillingness to feel regret. When you come across somebody who it feels like their conscience has been cauterized, you're like, how can you do that to people and not recognize? When you see that, what do you do with those feelings? That's my question. What do you do with those feelings? When you feel, maybe it's I feel significant disappointment in somebody or you run to 
I, I am disgusted with that person. I think most of us, most of the time, we do what David's doing. We complain about it. We rant about it. We wonder out loud about how can that person be so messed up to do stuff like that, such a cruel thing. So in one sense, we do what David's doing here, but here's the key difference. Typically, we talk about people to other people. That's the key difference. We talk about people that we are disappointed in or disgusted with. We talk about them with other people. We say stuff like, can you believe the way that guy treats his ex-wife? What a jerk. We say stuff like, you know that kid who's always bullying kids? Do you hear what he said to the girl in the wheelchair? Can you believe that? We say it to other people. We typically, in other words, we typically vent to others. Here's the key difference. David's venting to God. David is venting to God. When we see hatred, we see injustice, we see evil behaviors, we typically talk to other people about it. Maybe in our better moments, at the end of a big session, we'll be like, oh, pray for mercy for that guy. I'm going to pray for mercy. You know, we'll say some little token, end of call. But this is fascinating. I don't think many of us vent to God about that guy. I don't think many of us feel the freedom to speak so plainly to God like we've spoken with our friends or others about that person who is so offensive to us. We will say to a friend, oh my gosh, that guy is a total fill in the blank. Right? I can't even stand to be in the same room as that guy. But, I, but we don't often take that same language or tone with God. Those aren't typically the words we say to God. But I want you to see, and I've been focusing on how honest and open David is about his feelings and opinions of others, which is one thing. And then another thing is how David takes that and he directs it to God. He speaks these words to God. If you're telling people about your problems with people, it's, it's actually destructive. It's called gossip. Uh, it's like passing poison around, right? You've been very disturbed by something. It's bothered you. And maybe in an effort to kind of get a little catharsis, feel a little bit better, you tell somebody else. You kind of pass the poison to the next person. And it's almost like you infect them in that same kind of dis disease. It's gossip. It's forbidden all throughout the Bible. And the reason it's forbidden is clear. It's so destructive. It just breaks things. But if you're telling God about all the problems you have with people, you're telling God about that, it's actually productive. It's productive. It's productive for this reason. You're being honest with God. That's the reason. You're being honest with God. You're being transparent with God. Which is the only thing that makes any kind of sense because God already knows those thoughts you're thinking. He already has heard the words you've said about that person to somebody else. But in saying those actual, real, this is how I feel words to God, you move into a place of greater honesty with God. The words you say to God about others, they might not be pretty, they might not be gracious, they might not even be true, they might not be accurate. But saying these words to God, even though they're a mess and maybe not even totally true, they could be very good for your soul because you know why? This is how you actually feel, and that's what you're telling God. You're not telling God how you should feel. You're telling God how you actually feel. And in so doing, you open the door for an honest conversation. You take a step towards a real relationship with God. And that's why it's productive. That's why it's productive. That's why opening the verse or that's why the opening verse of this worship song is a complaint 
about the sinfulness of the wicked. Can you imagine how, I mean, it would probably be kind of cool if Amy led us in worship this morning and the whole first verse of the song was just all this, we just can't stand all the people, all the evil things people have done. That doesn't really work in our culture, I don't think so well, but it actually might be productive in the sense that it would kind of get it all out on the table. We all came in here with frustrations and and anger and sadness and brokenness and questions anyway. So there's this beautiful opportunity in the Psalms as a community to like get it all up on the table, just be honest about it, not be so paranoid and worried about is it the right thing or is it, is it good or is it nice or does God, just get it all out there so that we can then take a step towards honesty with God. So question, where do I take my feelings? What do I do with these words of frustration and anger and disgust? I essentially, as the way I see it, I got two choices. You either vent to somebody else about it, and in so doing, you infect them with the same dis-ease that you're experiencing, or you tell God about it. You tell God about your real feelings. Why is it better to tell God about it? Two reasons. One, I'm not hurting anybody else right now if I'm talking to God. And second, I'm actually helping me. I'm helping me, myself, be really honest with God, even if honesty isn't pretty. That's why I don't do this, because I don't like what's inside me, and it feels weird to tell it to God. I want God to be proud of me. (laughs) But this would help me if I did this more consistently, even if what I have inside isn't pretty, because whether it's right or wrong, if this is actually happening inside me, the only productive thing to do with it is to tell God about it, just to be honest with God about it, just vent to God, speak out all these anger, frustration words to God. If I say these words to you, it's going to impact you. It's going to affect you. If I share angry words with you, it's going to make you angry. If I share words of suspicion with you, you're going to feel suspicious. But if I say these words to God, the image I have is like just sending all of this probably impurity in many cases into the sun, S-U-N, and just letting the holiness of God just absorb and purify and burn up and take care of all the stuff in my heart that's frankly clouding my ability to see things in reality in the first place. I want to just send it to God. He can handle it. He's actually going to purify it. And, And when that happens, I am left with all this anger out of me, and I'm just left open and honest before God. That's where it leaves me. Open and honest before God. This old Christian man told me this story when I was still a teenager, and I still remember it. It's like 30 years later. It's a story about being in his early adult life, and everything was breaking. He lost several people that were important to him. Uh, relationships were falling apart. Business was failing. People were getting sick. It was in a short amount of time, a remarkable amount of adversity. And he began, he try, was trying to hold it all together, but he started to get overwhelmed by the realities of his life. And in the process of feeling overwhelmed of all these, uh, by all this brokenness and adversity, he began to, to feel like he was abandoned by God. Like, where is God in all of this? So he takes a long time to share all the details of his life. So the climax of this story has him getting on his motorcycle at this, at this point of near breakdown and hitting the freeway and driving as fast as he can. And as he's driving down the road, he begins to talk to God. And then as he gets faster and faster, the intensity of his voice raises and the words that he's using, they get more and more real and less and less polite. And pretty soon he's yelling profanities at God as he's driving down the freeway. The air is 
yanking the words right out of his face as he's driving down the freeway. Now he's crying with intensity and anger at God. He can't see anymore. He has to pull over, leaves the bike on the side of the road, throws the helmet on the ground, walks into the field next to the freeway, continues to yell questions to God, accusations at God until he's just worn out and exhausted. And he sits down on the dry grass and he just weeps. And then in the silence that followed, he was surprised to sense the voice of God saying to him, that's the first honest thing you've said to me for years. (laughs) No answers. Just, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now we can begin. David lets loose this rant about the most personal place of the sinful and the wicked. Sends that all towards God. And then between verse 4 and 5, there must be this silence. Because the contrast between verse 4 and 5 is remarkable. Look at verse 5. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. He was just complaining about the rapid or rampant injustice in the world. And now he's saying your justice is like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. So I hope that you can see how in this ranting about the wicked, in this ranting about injustice, David is opening himself up to God in honesty And once he says all these words to God, it's like he can actually see through all the clutter that has been clouding his vision, become a real barrier for him, and now he can see and receive the truth. Now he can see and receive the truth. All the frustration and anger and feelings of injustice, it's like they've been cleared out, and in God's light, he sees light. There's no longer three three observations here. They're similar One, he's no longer obsessed with the evil of the wicked. Now he's captivated by the love of God. That has changed. Secondly, he's no longer thinking about the manipulation of his enemies and just consumed about that. Now he's thinking about the faithfulness of God. Third, his hot anger about the wicked, it gets extinguished and soothed by the abundant presence of God. Of God. It's like a fountain of life. A minute ago, he was obsessed with the evil of the wicked. Now he's overwhelmed with the goodness of God. Friends, this is, this is an example of a spirituality that makes difference, makes a difference. You see what he's doing? He, this is an example of how uh, a relationship with God can actually change your life actually affect the way you interact with others and change your inner, um, what's the word, like disposition. Powerful to me. 
And then finally, last part. Here's how David's song or prayer ends. I love, especially in contrast to the raging first verse, I love the simplicity of this last part. Verse 10. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. Next prayer. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. And then finally, it's like this observation as he walks away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. See what David's saying now? First, he's saying it's, it's just a simple request that God would continue to love him and those who are, are living righteously. Just keep, keep showing me your love. It's very simple. And then a second simple prayer for protection and perseverance. May the foot of the proud not come against me. May the hand of the wicked not drive me away. In other words, the adversity is going to continue, and I recognize that, so protect me and preserve me against it. He's not asking why anymore. It's really interesting. Third, final statement, we see David point to, we see him come to a point of resolution. What's the resolution? He says, see how the, see how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. I think this is interesting. This has helped me in my own grief. He doesn't get any answers, but he does come to a place of resolution. He doesn't get any answers, but he comes to a place of resolution. And this resolution is so important because remember, at the beginning of the song, he was complaining, he was ranting, he was not at peace. His complaint was about the wicked. They don't fear God, they don't respect God, they, 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 they do evil without remorse. They're so full of pride, they're flattering themselves. His complaint was essentially, what's going on with the wicked? Why do they keep getting away with injustice? And why is it affecting my life negatively? This is hurting, and it's hurting the people I love. What's going on here, God? And what's really interesting to me is that as the resolution has come, it hasn't come because God has said something to David. God says nothing in this psalm. The resolution has come because David has been honest with God. Isn't that interesting? And that as, God, as David has said these words to God, these angry words, these frustrated words, but they're honest words. They've opened him up. They've opened him up. There's a sense of resolution that's come as David stands before God, but now he's standing before God honest and open. God doesn't actually answer David. But David, in his honesty, is enabled to see God. And resolution comes as David's perspective shifts from others to God. I love that last line. In God's light, David sees light. Right? He knows. He knows. He doesn't have all the answers, but he knows. It's not that his frustrations weren't valid. His frustrations were valid. It's that in voicing these frustrations to God, they just don't quite look the same. They're not dominating his existence anymore. Instead of the roaring, angry, military David, now we have this humble and trusting David at the end. So this is his prayer. Please continue your love for us. Protect us and preserve us. And he says, I know justice will come. Things will be made right.
things will be made right. Let's pray together. God, I pray for grace. I pray for grace. I pray for your help. Uh, I pray for your wooing that you would call me forward, call us closer to you, give us the courage we need to recognize what it is that is keeping us from being honest with you. Help us to name it. Uh, it's fear. I don't know. I'm afraid to be honest with God. Or some weird sense that we have to be better than we are in your presence or something like that. But I pray that we would grow in an ability to be blunt and honest with you. Not disrespectful to you, of course, but open. And that you would bring us into a relationship with you that is marked by honesty. And that as we stand before you open and honest, that we would recognize the truth. And that that truth would deeply impact the way we experience this life. Today I thank you for the pain. And I thank you for the, uh, the anger. And I thank you um, for even the, the sense that things are not right. And I pray for the grace to bring these feelings to you, uh, my God and my Redeemer. Thank you for this community, Lord. Help us to grow in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.